What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I told you guys that the last episode that we did was the most excited that i ever been for an episode. Well, for some reason, I'm even more excited about this episode than I was the last one, man. The content creativity is at an all-time high right now. We got some really exciting things to talk about. We're going to get a little bit messy and Brandon Marshall's words and talk about Derek Carr's recent comments about his breakup with the Las Vegas Raiders. Then I'm going to be giving you guys my top 10 offenses going into the upcoming 2023 NFL season. There's a popular debate going around on Twitter. Who's the better quarterback? Trevor Lawrence, aka Mr. Sunshine or Justin Herbert? I'm going to be giving my thoughts on that. And then there were some Tennessee Vols fans that were talking really spicy on my recent segment that I did about Tennessee football in the comment section saying that they can beat Georgia this year. Do you guys think the Vols can beat Georgia and win the SEC East this year? You know we got to get into that. And then lastly, I'm going to be giving you guys my first year expectations for new Auburn head coach, Hugh Freeze, how good is Auburn going to be year one with him being the head coach? Before we get into it, if you haven't already, please make sure that you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, around 5 p.m. Eastern time. We talk NFL, college football. If you are a diehard football fan and you love football and you live, eat, breathe, and sleep football like I do, this is the right place for you. Go ahead. Leave the podcast a five-star review if you enjoy. You can find the audio version of this podcast available on all podcasting platforms. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting platform that you like to use. Type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below. Scroll down a little bit and there will be direct links to the apple and spotify versions of the podcast Derek carr had some really interesting comments about his breakup with the las vegas raiders so on twitter i found this tweet shout out to dove i can't pronounce his full name but he said update Quarterback Derek Carr admits he was very upset and mad at the Raiders for benching him late last season. And I quote in Derek Carr's words, I was, for lack of a better term, I was very upset. I was mad. You spend nine years in a place you have all the records and you can go play at a high level and for something to get in the way, whether it was whatever reason, money related or whatever injury related, I would have said, I don't even want the money. I just want to play two more times in front of our fans. I didn't get that opportunity, so it definitely lit a fire inside of me to keep going. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Derek Carr's comments on how he felt about getting benched for his last three games as a Las Vegas Raiders. And listen, I kind of feel where he's coming from. A good amount of people feel like he's being a little bit over dramatic. Some people feel he's being salty about the situation. But Derek Carr had a lot had a lot of love 
for the Raiders, especially the fan base. And this is definitely somebody who did a lot in the community. This is somebody who spent the majority of his career up to this point with the Raiders. And when you spend so much time with one franchise, you kind of grow a strong attachment to them. And how things ended in Las Vegas for Derek Carr were really ugly. Now, did the Raiders make a mistake benching Derek Carr? I don't really think they did. I feel like it was time. I feel like the relationship between Carr and the Raiders started to sour to the point where they just had to move on. And there's a lot of Derek Carr fans out there that defend this man and say, man, he never had a great defense. He never had stability when it came to the front office and on the coaching staff. And I get all that. But we still have to be honest. Despite all of the instability that Derek Carr has dealt with over the years during his time with the Raiders, he wasn't all that great. People think that he's going to end up becoming the next Matthew Stafford with the New Orleans Saints, and I don't see that happening. Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford were on two different levels. When Matthew Stafford was with the Detroit Lions, he was a damn good quarterback. One of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. We just didn't know how good he was because who the hell was watching the Detroit Lions? For Derek Carr, we've seen him in a lot of big games for the Las Vegas Raiders over the years. And his best performances came against the Kansas City Chiefs in 2020. And when you look at Derek Carr, he's a solid quarterback, but he's not a great quarterback. He's a quarterback that needs everything around him to go right. If you don't have all of the right pieces around Derek Carr, he's not good enough to be able to overcompensate for that, such as a guy like Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes was able to overcome not having the greatest group of wide receivers. You also look at Justin Herbert. He was able to get the Chargers to the postseason last year despite having one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL and being without four starters on the offensive line. That's what happens when you have an elite quarterback. When you have an elite quarterback, you don't need a perfect team around those guys for them to be successful. Meanwhile, you look at Derek Carr, he needs everything. Great coaching, great team, great defense. You look at Derek Carr, I think he's a really solid QB. I think he's in that Ryan Tannehill kind of tier where you can win with Derek Carr as long as you have a good team around him. But... Derek Carr fans make it seem like he was just dealt a completely bad hand during his final season with the Las Vegas Raiders. I get that he had to learn a new system. But Derek Carr, even under the years that he was with John Gruden, John Gruden was frustrated with him at times. It's been well reported. And then you look at how last year went, his final game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he was awful. And I'm a Steelers fan. And I'm telling you that the Raiders should have won that game. Derek Carr costed the Las Vegas Raiders that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I get it's a team sport, but the quarterback position is the most important position in the NFL. They have the biggest influence over the outcome of the game. And when you have your starting quarterback throwing three interceptions and getting outplayed by Kenny Pickett, that's a problem. Derek Carr... The Las Vegas Raiders were right to move on from him. Now, do I agree with who they replaced him with? Absolutely not. Going from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo is a lateral move at best. But I do think that Ryan Tannehill is the kind of tier and kind of quarterback 
that I compare to Derek Carr. And when you look at Derek Carr, how last season went, he wasn't good at all. I mean, he had a couple of okay games, but he never had any games that made you go, wow, like Derek Carr is one of the best QBs in the game. So for Derek Carr, his recent comments to me, they don't come out as salty or bitter. It just comes out like he's still very hurt about the situation, and understandably so, because he loved the Raiders organization. He loved the fan base. But for the Derek Carr defenders out there that get behind this dude and act like he was everything to the Las Vegas Raiders and that he just carried that franchise on his back and he's this great quarterback that was held back by the organization, I kind of have to disagree with you. Was Derek Carr held back by Las Vegas in a sense? Yes, a little bit, but I don't think that he deserves no blame at all. He wasn't good last year. He's not a great QB. He's a solid QB. And I'm not saying that he can never become a great QB. But up to this point of his career, he's been a serviceable, really good quarterback at best. He's a top 12 QB when he's playing his best football. That's good enough to get you to the postseason as long as you have a great team around them. But that's the problem. Las Vegas hasn't had a good team around Derek Carr. And they didn't have good coaching last year. So that kind of held him back. He wasn't able to overcome that. Derek Carr's comments about the Las Vegas Raiders and how that situation played out is kind of what I expect for somebody who spent pretty much his whole entire career up to this point with one franchise. Of course, there's going to be a little bitterness. There's going to be a lot of hurt. You know, I feel like the Raiders probably could have allowed him to start for the last two games if they really needed him to. But you look at what Jarrett Stidham did in his first season without Derek Carr, and you're like, damn, this dude's lighting up the 49ers and he's a backup. His first game as a starter, he had a better game than anything that Derek Carr put up for the last few weeks up to his benching. Derek Carr's recent comments on the Raiders breakup is what I expect from a player who spent so much time with one franchise. Of course, he's still going to be a little hurt about the situation. I think that this definitely is going to give him a chip on his shoulder going into his first year at the New Orleans Saints. And I think that he's going to do some pretty good things in the NOLA, even though I don't think the Saints are going to be as good as what a lot of people think they will be. I don't think that Derek Carr is going to be any worse than what they've had at QB ever since Drew Brees retired. Jameis Winston had a pretty good stretch when he was with Sean Payton before he went down. But then after that, the Saints have had instability at the QB position ever since. And I think Derek Carr, he's going to give you good quarterback play, but he's not a guy who's going to come through for you in the big moments. Yeah, he has all these fourth quarter comebacks and come from behind victories, but how many of those has he put up in big games that actually matter? Where was this against the Cincinnati Bengals when they lost to them in the wild card round in 2021? I'm just saying, like, a lot of Derek Carr defenders bring up all these stats and all these numbers and all these fourth quarter comebacks and whatnot, but how many of them has he had in big games when they matter the most? Where was this against the Pittsburgh Steelers? The defense showed up in that game. They held Pittsburgh to 13 points. I'm just saying, man, Derek Carr... He has a pretty good team around him in New Orleans. You got Chris Olave, Michael Thomas for the few games that he's going to be able to stay healthy. You're going to have a pretty serviceable offensive line. But let's just stop the narrative that Derek Carr 
just was set up to fail with the Raiders. He carried the Raiders on his back, man. Like, Derek Carr defenders have to be a little bit more real. I'm not saying that the Raiders didn't do a great job surrounding Derek Carr with talent because they didn't. But let's just stop acting like Derek Carr just carried the Raiders organization on his back and he's this elite QB. He's a solid QB. He's not elite. Derek Carr, his recent comments with the New Orleans Saints don't really get me riled up. They don't really aggravate me like some other Raiders fans say. They get fed up with hearing Derek Carr continue to take shots at their organization. They just want him to move on. But, I mean, the dude's hurt, man. He's still trying to heal. Let the man heal. Let him vent about the situation. I have no problem with these comments. This is what I expect from somebody who's still hurt over a situation where he's been for franchise for a very long time and they decided to move on from him i want to talk about my top 10 offenses going into the 2023 nfl season man now let me give you guys my criteria for this thing before we start and please don't skip because when you skip you end up missing my criteria and my explanation for why i have teams ranked as where they are my criteria isn't solely based on talent. It's also about coaching, and it's also about how good your offense is in total. I don't care if you just have a great receiving core. You need to have a great, complete offense. Your offensive line needs to be good. Your quarterback needs to be good. Your coaching needs to be good, and your receivers need to be good to be on this list. So if you don't have neither one of those things, nine times out of ten, if you only have one of those things, you're not going to be on this list. And I have these ranked in order from worst to best, even though if you're on this list, you're not considered bad. It's just that I have these labeled in terms of how good I feel each offense is going to be. So if I have a certain offense over one team, it's because I feel that team's going to have a better offense than them. So this is in order from the teams that I feel is going to have the best to the number one offense in the NFL. So I just had to clear up those things so we don't have any misconceptions in the all in the comment section, but we probably are anyway because a lot of you guys don't really care about it anyway. If your team's not on here, you're gonna get mad. But at number 10, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars are gonna have a really solid offense this year. The offensive line has some question marks. You did lose Jawan Taylor. Your left tackle is going to miss a couple of games, but I think for the most part, Jacksonville's offensive line should be pretty fine. You got Trevor Lawrence, who many people expect to be in the MVP conversation this year. Doug Peterson is one of the best offensive minds in the game. You're going to have Calvin Ridley, who served a suspension last year. You traded for him at the deadline. You're going to be pairing him up with Christian Kirk, who had a really productive season for the Jags last year you got Travis Etienne in the backfield you drafted Tank Bigsby out of Auburn who I think could be pretty solid if given some carries Evan Ingram had probably the best season of his whole entire NFL career with Jacksonville in 2022 Jacksonville's offense is going to be really good this year I have them at number 10 coming in after them at number nine we got the LA Chargers now the Chargers almost didn't make this list. Just keeping in the beam with y'all. But I really like the hiring of offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. I feel like he was scapegoated out of Dallas. I feel like many Cowboy fans try to put 
all of the Cowboys offensive issues on Kellen Moore and he did have some bone scratching decisions at times but I think for the most part this dude is a really good offensive coordinator and something that he specializes in is getting the most out of the deep passing game and that's something that the LA Chargers haven't allowed Justin Herbert to do which is throw the football downfield their previous offensive coordinator held Justin Herbert back with his conservative old school offense didn't really allow Justin Herbert too many opportunities to just let it rip downfield. Kellen Moore is going to do that. They have a very fantastic group of receivers. You drafted Quentin Johnston in the first round out of TCU. This guy is going to be a stud playing with Justin Herbert. I feel like this was the best place for him. You got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and although Keenan Allen... He may not be what he used to be because he struggles to stay healthy. But when he's on the field, I still feel he's one of the best slot receivers in the game. Mike Williams is probably the best receiver in the NFL when it comes to making OMG catches. I mean, this dude just catches everything that gets thrown his way. And this offensive line struggled last year because they had to deal with a good amount of injuries. There was a time late last year where I believe they were down three to four starters on the offensive line at one point. So I believe with the offensive line coming back fully healthy, you got Kellen Moore as your new OC. This offense is going to be really good this year. This is going to be a top 10 offense. You also should have way more success running the football this year. Austin Eckler didn't really have a lot of daylight when he had opportunities to carry the rock because the offensive line wasn't good and you just had an offensive coordinator that just wasn't all that great at being able to modernize this offense. I got the Chargers in at number nine. Next up, we got San Francisco. Some of you guys, if you're a 49ers fan, you're probably going to be really irritated. You're going to be like, man, JT, we should be a lot higher than number eight. We got Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, a really good offensive line. We have one of the best play callers in the game and Kyle Shanahan, and you're right. But the reason why I got you a little bit lower is because you got Brock Purdy as your QB. Now, I'm not saying that I don't believe in Brock Purdy because I do. You guys can go back and check all the videos that we've done on this podcast. I've been going for Brock Purdy, rooting for this man really hard. It's just that compared to the other offenses on this list, Brock Purdy is probably the worst QB on here, but that doesn't mean that I think he's going to be bad. I think that he did a really good job when he had to come in on a short-term notice. He was the best rookie quarterback in the NFL last year, no debate about it. And going into this year, I expect him to be the starting quarterback, and I think that the 49ers should still be able to pick up from where they left off last season, even though there are concerns about how Brock Purdy's going to be coming off that elbow injury that he suffered. But this 49ers offense, they got a lot of talent. You traded for CMC. He's the best running back in the NFL. We saw the big impact that he had on this offense last year. For everybody that says the running back position is starting to go extinct, it doesn't really have a big impact on the game. Ask yourself this question. Would the 49ers offense be as good as what it was last year if they didn't have CMC? Would they have made it as far as what they did if they didn't trade for Christian McCaffrey? I don't think they make it to the NFC Conference Championship game if they don't trade for a Christian McCaffrey. He's really good catching the ball out of the backfield. He's really explosive with the ball in his hands. And then you got a really good backup behind him and Elijah Mitchell. 
who people seem to forget about at times. But the 49ers got a really talented offense. Brock Purdy is just a little bit of the reason why I have them a little bit low on here. Now, if Brock Purdy ends up performing at an even better level than what he did last year, then come next year around this time when I do my top 10 offenses, they will be a lot higher. But for right now, I have them at number eight. The Detroit Lions come in at number seven. You have one of the best offensive coordinators in the game and Ben Johnson, who probably is serving his final year in Detroit as the Lions offensive coordinator. I expect this man to end up getting a head coaching job come the end of last year. I think that Ben Johnson is a fantastic football coach. The way that he's able to get the most out of the players on his team and he does a really good job at maximizing his personnel. And then they drafted Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs isn't just a running back. There are people who were scratching their head about the Lions' decision to take Jameer Gibbs. He's not just the RB, people. Jameer Gibbs is a weapon. The Detroit Lions have been lining this man up during mini camp and OTAs at receiver. Jameer Gibbs can do everything for Detroit. He's explosive. He's a home run threat. You can line him up out wide. You can line him up in the slot. He's going to be an incredible yak threat. Jameer Gibbs is just a do-it-all back or a do-it-all player for the Detroit Lions. And then you're going to have a really good receiving core once Jamison Williams gets back from serving that suspension for gambling. You got Marvin Jones, who, although he's getting up there in age, he's a pretty good veteran. He was really solid for Jacksonville last year, in my opinion, when his number was called. And then Amar Ross St. Brown is starting to cement himself as one of the best slot receivers in the game. And then you got David Montgomery. People just think that Jameer Gibbs is the only good running back on this roster when David Montgomery is probably going to get way more carries than Jameer Gibbs this year, man. Like, it's the fantasy football community that keeps overhyping Jameer Gibbs a little bit. Like, David Montgomery is a damn good running back, and he's going to score more touchdowns than Jameer Gibbs this year. He's going to get a lot of work in the red zone. Jameer Gibbs, he's a really talented player, but David Montgomery is also a stud of his own right. He was really good for the Chicago Bears. I know not too many of you guys were paying attention to the Bears because they've been so bad over the last couple of years, but David Montgomery is one of the more underrated and underappreciated running backs in the NFL. And let's not forget about the Detroit Lions having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. This is a top five offensive line that the Detroit Lions have going into this season. The Miami Dolphins are coming in at number six. A lot of you Dolphins fans hate me. You guys haven't really been a big fan of what I've had to say about your quarterback over the last couple of years. But I think if Tua can stay healthy, this is going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL because the Dolphins have a freaking track team right now. You got Tyreek Hill. You got Jalen Waddle. You got my guy, Chosen Anderson formerly known as Robbie Anderson. You got Devon A-Chain. You have the fastest offense in the NFL this year. There is so much speed, so much explosiveness on this offense. Raheem Mostert, your only concern is can Tua stay healthy? Tua got kind of big. I don't know how many of you guys done peeped Tua so far throughout minicamp for the Miami Dolphins, but he's kind of got some muscle on him now. He got a little bit of meat on him. He's trying to make sure that he isn't a liability this year when it comes to him being able to stay healthy. And people forget that Tua Tagovailoa, during the first half of the season, 
was a legitimate MVP candidate. There were a couple of outlets that named him the NFL's midseason MVP. So if he can build on the success that he had last year, year one under Mike McDaniel, and this offensive line can improve, the Dolphins' offense is going to be probably one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL this season and better than what it was last year. And this offense was really good last year. The Philadelphia Eagles come in, starting off my top five. They didn't really lose too much on the offensive side of the football. They did lose a couple of talented guards, but for the most part, Philadelphia still should have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Jason Kelsey comes back for another season. He's still arguably one of the best centers, if not the best center in the NFL. Your tackle position is still going to be really fantastic. Jalen Hurts, there's some reports saying that he's going to be even better this season than what he was last year because he's taken even more steps to improve as a passer, which is downright scary. And then you got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. This Philadelphia Eagles offense is stacked. You did lose Miles Sanders, but I think you upgraded in trading for DeAndre Swift. I think DeAndre Swift brings more to the offense than what Miles Sanders does because DeAndre Swift is able to catch passes out of the backfield. I believe he has better hands than what Miles Sanders did. Plus, you can move him a little bit around on the offense. And if DeAndre Swift can stay healthy, he's going to be one of the more underrated additions of this offseason. And then you got Chris Carson, who is a pretty productive back when he can stay healthy. Keyword, when he can stay healthy. This dude is the definition of injury prone. But the Philadelphia Eagles offense shouldn't drop off from how good they were last year. They did lose Shane Steichen, who was their OC. He's now the head coach of Indianapolis. But I think with them bringing back the main core of their offense, this offense should still be amongst the best in the NFL this year. Now, this is going to start to ruffle some feathers, people. The Cincinnati Bengals come in at number four for me. They finally have addressed the offensive line. Well, they tried to address the offensive line last year, but some of the guys they signed got injured. Guys like Lowell Collins didn't work out. They spent a lot of money to get Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown is one of the best left tackles in the game. We don't know who's going to be starting at right tackle for Cincinnati. It's either going to be Jonah Williams or L. Collins. I guess we have to wait and see on that. But the interior, the interior of their offensive line should be really good. They had a handful of guys who ended up getting injured late in the season, and they weren't available in the postseason. And the only thing that is holding Joe Burrow back from winning a Super Bowl is the fact that he hasn't had an elite offensive line. If you want to win a Super Bowl in today's NFL, you got to have a good offensive line. Outside of the Bengals, the other three teams that were in the conference championship game, Kansas City, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, what did they all have in common that Cincinnati didn't have? A good offensive line. If you can't win up front, it doesn't matter how good your receivers are. Cincinnati, I think they have finally solved their issues on the offensive line. You couple that with the fact that you got my guy, Jer the best quarterback in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes. You got the best receiving core in the NFL, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I think this is the year that, that my boy, Joe Burrow, finally has a legitimate shot at being able to win the Super Bowl. 
given the fact that he finally is going to have a really good offensive line blocking in front of him. And then the run game should improve. You're going to have Joe Mixon, Chase Brown. A lot of Bengals fans are really excited about the Bengals come in at number four. Number three, we got the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, ever since Patrick Mahomes has taken over the reins at quarterback for them, they've had the top three offense pretty much every single year he's been the starter. I don't think that's going to change this year. As a matter of fact, I think their offense can be even better this year than what it was last year because the young receivers that you had on your roster, they're going to have another added year in your system. MVS was pretty good at times for Kansas City. Kadarius Tony, when you traded for him, he didn't really do much during the regular season, but he was a pretty big part during your Super Bowl run. He had a really big punt return, and many people are expecting him to have a breakout season. Sky Moore is going into year two in this offense. But guys, I'm really excited about that. I'm not hearing a lot of talk about, which is a little bit surprising because Chiefs fans were always talking about this dude last offseason is former Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross. He didn't get to play last year because he suffered an injury that sidelined him for the whole entire year. But I think that Justin Ross is being heavily overlooked. He was a first-round talent that just went undrafted due to injuries and medical reasons. But if he can stay healthy, I expect him to have a very good season for Kansas City this year. Now, at running back, you got my guy Isaiah Pacheco, who was a seven-round pick out of Rutgers. I love this dude a lot. He is a fantastic running back. I love how he runs with a lot of aggression. This dude runs with a lot of attitude, man. Every time you watch Isaiah Pacheco run, you hear some pass stumping. You hear some pass clapping. This is one of those running backs that doesn't shy away from contact, man. If you're a linebacker, a defensive back, and you see this dude in the open field, I hope you love the tackle because if you're not, he's going to... he's gonna knock those damn shoulder pads off he's gonna knock that helmet on loose I love me some Isaiah Pacheco and I love this offense I am a little bit skeptical about their offensive line you got Donovan Smith you signed Jawan Taylor to a massive deal which I kind of view as a I won't even say a slide overpay I think that signing Jawan Taylor to the deal that they gave him was a major overpay I don't think I would have paid him that much, but this offensive line should still be really good. You got Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. This is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL still, just with how talented they are when it comes to the interior part of their line. Just have some concerns about how their tackle situation is going to play out. But I think Kansas City is going to have the third best offense in the NFL this year. Now at number two, this is where we about to start getting a lot of pushback in the comment section. A lot of you guys are about to be really upset with these next two teams. I got Seattle at number two. Now, I know a lot of y'all finna say, man, JT, you bugging right now. You for real? You got Seattle at number two? Yes, dog. I am dead serious. I think that a lot of people are sleeping on Seattle's offense. This was already a pretty good offense last year. And they had the two best rookie offensive tackles in the NFL, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Those guys are going into year two. The development is going to be insane. Seattle could have the best offensive tackle duo in the NFL. There's not too many teams that have elite caliber offensive tackles at both left and right. 
And then you look at what they added at wide receiver. You already had Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. That was one of the best receiving duos in the NFL. And now you add JSN, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba. I know he's not one of the more athletically gifted wide receivers that came out of this past year's draft. But this dude is a technician. He's a fantastic route runner, creates great separation on his routes. He has high football IQ. He has fantastic hands. You put him in this offense, they're going to do some damage. And then you got my dude, MVP Geno, at quarterback returning. They took care of my guy. I think he's going to have an MVP caliber season. True, he was in the MVP discussion last year. Even though he wasn't a finalist, but he was a top 10 candidate. And... You look at what they have at running back. Kenneth Walker was going off. He probably could have won Offensive Rookie of the Year. And then you draft Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. The interior, the interior of their offensive line, I really like a lot. They drafted a rookie center out of Michigan named Alualua Timmy, who I think was one of the biggest steals of the draft for any team like Seattle's offense, I think is going to be amongst the best in the NFL. And they are being heavily overlooked. If you're somebody who plays a lot of fantasy football, you need to be getting a lot of your team constructed from Seattle. They have a lot of talent on this offense. There are enough mouths to feed that everybody should be able to eat. You got Noah Fant, almost forgot about him. I mean, they just have so many talented players on this offense i don't see this offense getting stopped and being taken off the field too often this year unless something drastic happens charles cross and abraham lucas don't develop geno smith comes back to reality but i don't see geno smith regressing i just think they have given him way too much talent and the offensive line is going to be the best offensive line that seattle has had since the beginning of the Russell Wilson era, back when he was a rookie. So Seattle comes in at number two now. Who I have at number one is really going to piss a lot of y'all off. But y'all know that one team that I've been really high on this offseason, and it pains me to have them at number one being the Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but y'all know who I have at number one. I got the Baltimore Ravens. The addition of Todd Munkin is being one of the most overlooked staff hires this whole entire offseason. Not enough people are talking about the Ravens hiring Todd Munkin. There's so many people that think the Ravens are going to come out running the same offense that they have been over the last three years. They're not. They got a new OC. Greg Roman is gone. They have Todd motherfucking Munkin. This dude, everywhere he's gone, he has produced efficient, potent passing attacks the Ravens improved their wide receiving core OBJ Zay Flowers you're gonna have Rashad Bateman who should be fully healthy this year you got Mark Andrews and I know a lot of people may not be over excited about the addition of OBJ but OBJ is easily without a doubt the best receiver the most talented wide receiver that the Baltimore Ravens have had in a very long time. I can't recall the last time Baltimore had a receiver that was as good as OBJ. And even if you think that Odell is washed up, he's still better than anything the Ravens have had in the last decade. The last time the Ravens had a receiver that was as good as Odell Beckham Jr., it was Steve Smith. I'm a big fan of Todd Munkin. 
and I love me some Lamar Jackson, I think that Lamar Jackson is going to end up winning MVP. So these are my top 10 offenses going into the 2023 NFL season. <laughs> Somebody says Seattle above Cincy. I'm out just all that. Man, Seattle has a way better group of offensive tackles than the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you got Orlando Brown, but who's playing right tackle? Jonah Williams was terrible last year. Lyle Collins, he wasn't good neither. So Cincinnati's offensive line, at least when you look at their tackle position, I put them below Seattle for that reason. And plus, they got more talent at running back overall. You got Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbon. I just think that Seattle is going to have one of the best offenses in the NFL. And then you got Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to end up winning MVP this year. He's probably my front runner right now to win the MVP award this year. But these are my top 10 offenses going into the 2023 NFL season. Leave your comments down in the comment section down below. Before we move on, if you haven't already, make sure that you guys leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time or around 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Going to check in with the comment section. We're going to look at the chat. How y'all doing? Mr. Jones says if D-Hop goes to the Titans, that offense. I don't know, man. I don't know how Tennessee's offensive line is going to do. Derek Carr was Oakland for Las Vegas. Buffalo Bills. Man, I wanted to have Buffalo on there, but I just couldn't put the Buffalo Bills on there because I think their offense is going to take a major step back. I wasn't really thrilled about what I've been hearing about Stephon Diggs. I think Stephon Diggs is being too much of a diva, and I think with him wanting to have an even bigger role in the offense when he's already been the second most targeted receiver in the NFL over the last couple of years behind Devontae Adams is going to force Josh Allen to force feed him the ball even more, and that's going to force even more turnovers. Like I just don't think Buffalo's offense is going to be as good this year as what it has been in previous years. When the Titans sign D-Hawk, they become a top 10 offense. I don't know, man. Like, I, I just got to see what Seattle, I just got to see what Tennessee's offensive line. OBJ, one catch wonder. Lamar Jackson. Watch out for the Saints who that. The Saints could definitely be on here. Where do you rank my Bears? I think the Bears are going to have like a top 15, top 16 offense. We'll see about Chicago, but I think Chicago should have a way better offense this year than what they had last year, but... Let's move on to the next segment. Who's the better quarterback? Trevor Sunshine Lawrence or Justin the Robot Herbert? Now, this has been a really popular debate that I've been seeing floating around on Twitter. A lot of people are picking Justin Herbert. I asked you guys earlier today, who do you guys think was better? And 59% of you guys said Justin Herbert What's better than Trevor Lawrence? 41% of you guys picked T-Law over Justin. What are my thoughts on this debate? And I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, I'm really stuck in between the middle. But I'm probably still going to have to go Justin Herbert. Just because he has more body of work compared to Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has only been in the league for what? Going on three years now? And last year was his... First great season, you look at Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert has been 
uh, top 10, top 5 QB ever since he has taken over the reins as the starting quarterback for the LA Chargers. And I get that Trevor Lawrence beat the Chargers and outplayed Justin Herbert the last two times they matched up against each other last year. And if we were going off solely what they did last year, I would pick Trevor Lawrence. But if we're going off who's the better quarterback right now, I have to go with the guy who has a better overall body of work. And you look at what Justin Herbert did last year for the LA Chargers. They didn't have great coaching. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen missed time. They were down four starters on the offensive line at one point. They had arguably one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL last year. Justin Herbert carried the LA Chargers on his back last year. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for Justin Herbert. I'm just saying that I normally favor somebody who does a little bit more with less. Now, Trevor Lawrence, I think that he's a more talented quarterback than Justin Herbert. I think that he's a little bit of a better runner than Justin Herbert, even though Justin Herbert, surprisingly enough, runs a faster 40 time than T-Law. When you watch Trevor Lawrence play, this dude is really slippery. He And you don't really see somebody at his size be that athletic when they decide to run the football. But I think that Justin Herbert is really athletic. But I think that Trevor Lawrence is better throwing on the run than what Justin Herbert is. And I look at Trevor Lawrence, I definitely think this season he's going to end up cementing himself as a top three quarterback in the NFL. But for right now, I got to go with my boy Sunshine behind Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert just right now, he just has a little bit of a better resume than Trevor Lawrence. I need to see Trevor Lawrence be able to sustain his success for a lot longer. And plus, even based on last year, he was really inconsistent and a very streaky player at times. Justin Herbert was way more consistent than what Trevor Lawrence was. And before you Jags fans come at me sideways, yes, I did watch every single Jaguars game. I had no choice to because I live in Jacksonville, so I get forced to watch the local Jaguar games whether I want to or not. And I did watch every single game that he played. And Trevor Lawrence had some really good games. He balled out against the Cowboys. He balled out the first time they played the Tennessee Titans. He had a great game against the Ravens and the Chargers the two times they played. Some people say that he's the best second-half quarterback in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. I think that you have a very good argument for that. But he had some really inconsistent performances against the Detroit Lions, the Houston Texans early last year, and their last game against the Tennessee Titans, he struggled. Although they won that game, it wasn't the best performance that we've seen out of Trevor Lawrence last season. And when you look at Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert was rock-solid good last year for the LA Chargers. So I think that Justin Herbert, right now, he's the more consistent player. But when you look at the guy who has more upside, who has more potential, you got to go with Trevor Lawrence. But for right now, if I had to pick between which quarterback would I want to lead my team right now, who I think is better, I would take Justin Herbert. But I'm interested in seeing what you guys have to say down in the comment section down below. I think you can make the argument for either one. 
I don't think you can go wrong taking Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert. Last year kind of was T-Law's rookie season since we just discredit what happened his first year in the NFL. He had Urban Meyer as his head coach. That was just a disaster all the, all the way around. But I think Trevor Lawrence could end up being better than Justin Herbert this year. But for right now, I just got to go with my guy Justin Herbert just because he has a way more proven resume than what Trevor Lawrence has. And yeah, I know that Justin Herbert doesn't have the playoff success that you expect for a guy who is expected to be elite QB. There's a lot of people who consider Justin Herbert to be overrated. I don't think he's overrated because... You know, the Chargers blew that blit, that big lead to the Jaguars in the postseason. I think there's a lot of reasons for why the Chargers blew that lead. Bad coaching, conservative play calling. I do think that Justin Herbert does deserve blame for that, but I don't think one loss in the postseason should, should just discredit Justin Herbert's overall body of work. We know that Justin Herbert, ever since he's came into the NFL, he's over-exceeded expectations, and he's been one of the best QBs in the NFL. Now, Trevor Lawrence does have a good chance to overtake him and end up becoming a top three QB, but I think for right now, I got to go with Herbert. I think he's better than Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think the gap is that big. I don't think you can go wrong with either one. A couple of days ago, when we were talking about the Tennessee Vols, there were some Volunteers fans that were talking really spicy in the comment section saying that the Vols could beat Georgia this year and win the SEC East. So our guy Kelly McClendon6601 says Tennessee will totally demolish Georgia. Those are some really spicy words. Some really spicy words coming from Vols fans, man. And there was another Vols fan that gave us the blessing of typing us a bibliography of why Tennessee is going to be able to overtake Georgia for the SEC East this year. So go ahead, get you something to drink, get you something to eat while we read this long essay for why Tennessee is going to overtake Georgia. So shout out to my guy, GY7136. He says, UGA does not have a high... He says UGA does not have an offensive system. It will be all new. And bro, look how easily the 14-ranked passing offense of OSU lit them up. This was a team that Michigan blew out and Penn State nearly beat. Respect to UGA, but four-point wins over Mizzou? Ten-point wins over UK, Kent State? On UGA in Athens, UGA, 100 yards rushing against Sanford. That was the 75th ranked strength of schedule in the regular season. And all but one common foe with UGA, Tennessee performed better than UGA. UGA, not a single point offensively against the 21 Clemson team. A team that didn't even win this conference compared to what Tennessee did to a better Clemson team in 22. I think UGA is a benefactor of being the deepest team after coming out of a pandemic that saw most every other team lose more players with opt-outs compared to UGA. And with all those other breaks in luck, they are a good team. But statistically, 
they don't match up offensively with the winner of the last 10 naughty winners before them. Mike Bobo and Beck versus Munkin and Stetson Bennett. I think UGA and the football world is about to be shocked at the drop-off at UGA without Stetson Bennett. Noah Lee, QB, and three offensive players drafted in the 24 draft over the last two drafts that weren't tackles. If UGA played Tennessee at a neutral site and earlier, they've, they would have lost, in my opinion. And LSU and Bama could have beaten them as well. You think UGA could have put 52 on Bama? That is the most any team in 114 years ever put on the Saban team. Bama's D was ranked higher than UGA's going into that Tennessee game. I think Tennessee G tried really, really hard against Georgia. LOL. Great stuff, man. Love your show and look forward to more content. So I had a hard time reading that bibliography, but shout out to my guy for typing that in. But let's just be honest, man. Georgia is probably going to beat Tennessee this year. And I love Tennessee, but Tennessee isn't where they need to be to be able to beat Georgia in terms of what they have up front. And even though Tennessee does have a really good offensive line, their defensive line should be pretty good this year. Georgia's defensive line is on a different level. I don't think no team in college football right now has the kind of talent that Georgia has up front. Georgia doesn't have football players on the offensive line and the defensive line, people. They have X-Men. They have mutants on the offensive line. Where do you find Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis at? Where do you find 300 plus D tackles that can run a 4-8 or faster? I don't think that when you look at Tennessee right now, they have the big boys up front to be able to slow down Georgia in the trenches. When you look at Tennessee, you saw how last game, how last year's game went. They got body bagged. They were not able to give Hendon Hooker any time to throw. They were throwing around Hendon Hooker like he was a rag doll. I don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to beat Georgia this year, although they are playing Georgia at home this year versus having to go on the roads and play them at Athens. That's a whole different animal. And I do think that Tennessee will be able to give Georgia a pretty tough game, but I don't think that Tennessee going into this year has enough horsepower to be able to stop the behemoth that is Georgia. Now, they could keep it close, and I do think that this year's game will be a lot closer than what it was last year, but I think that Tennessee realistically is at least one or two more years behind catching up to Georgia. I don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to win that SEC East over Georgia this year. And I get the whole schedule argument, but let's not act like Georgia played nobodies all last season. Didn't they blow out Oregon? Every time Georgia played a good team, they took them to the woodshed outside of playing Ohio State. And that Ohio State game was the best team that they played all season. When you were looking at that game on paper, Ohio State realistically was going to be the only team that was going to be able to have a shot at giving Georgia some problems on defense. 
Georgia had the best secondary in college football last year. You know who had the best receiving core in college football last year? Ohio State, led by that man, Sir Hemothy Marvin Harrison Jr. Then you had Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming. You had C.J. Stroud, who was the second pick of this past year's NFL draft. Like, when you look at quarterbacks who have had good games against Kirby Smart's defenses, all of them have had great receivers around them and good offensive line play, and that's what Ohio State had. That's why Ohio State was able to challenge Georgia, and they nearly beat them. But he also kind of left out how they dragged Tennessee. Like, he just kind of scoffed over it. But, I mean, they dragged Tennessee through the mud. And I don't think that Tennessee had an out-of-conference opponent last year that was as good as what Oregon was. I think their best out-of-conference opponent was who? Pitt? Which, respect to Pitt, but... Pitt was nowhere as good as what Oregon was. Like, it's crazy how people like to criticize Georgia's schedule last year like they didn't blow out Oregon in their first game of the regular season. And then they destroyed TCU in the national championship. I mean, like, he made some okay points, but, you know, love to him, but I don't think Tennessee right now is going to be able to beat Georgia this year. I just don't think they have enough. I do think they can keep it close with them playing at home, but I just think that the SEC East is Georgia's to lose for the foreseeable future. What are your first-year expectations for Hugh Freeze? So earlier today, I asked you guys, how many games do you think Hugh Freeze is going to win year one at Auburn? And 47% 47% of you guys said 8-9, to nine, and 33% of you guys said 6-7. to seven. Now, I was really surprised that a majority of you all had Auburn winning 8-9 to nine games. And at first, before I started digging in and doing my research, I was thinking that Auburn was going to be lucky enough to make it to a bowl game. But digging into what Hugh Freeze has done this offseason for Auburn, he has really overhauled this roster. Now, he hasn't gone to the lengths that Deion Sanders has, but this team is way better going into 2023 than it was going into 2022. Last year, their offensive line wasn't good. They didn't really have good receivers. The quarterback play wasn't good, and the defense was abysmal. Well, Hugh Freeze brought in, according to 247 Sports, the third best transfer portal class, and he got some real good players out of the transfer portal, you got Peyton Thorne, former quarterback for Michigan State. Yeah, I know that he may not excite anybody, but he's good enough to get the job done. You're going to have somebody that's going to come in with veteran experience. You're going to have a QB that's played in big games and a quarterback that's been pretty productive during his time playing in the second best conference in, full, in college football in the Big Ten. So if he ends up starting over Robbie Ashford, I think that your quarterback position is going to be pretty good. And even if you start Robbie Ashford, I think that you can't go wrong with either one because Hugh Freeze is really good at getting the most out of quarterbacks that are in his system. He got Malik Willis to the NFL. And when you look at some other key players that they got in the transfer portal outside of quarterback Peyton Thorne, some of my favorites are quarterback or wide receiver excuse me Shane Hooks out of Jackson State he had 10 touchdowns last year for Deion Sanders I think that he's going to be one of the more impactful transfers not just for Auburn but out of all of the other schools and the SEC you got a really athletically gifted tight end and Rivaldo 
Fairyweather out of FIU. This guy is a behemoth of a tight end. He is a phenomenal athlete. He reminds me a lot of Vernon Davis. For all of my college football fans out there who keep up with the NFL, Vernon Davis was a really athletic tight end for the San Francisco 49ers. He reminds me a lot of like him. And then when you look at what they brought in on the offensive line, Avery Jones, Gunnar Britton, those were two of the better offensive linemen coming out of the transfer portal. So this offensive line is going to be way better this year than what it was last year, at least when you look at this offensive line on paper. Now, the thing when you bring in offensive linemen from the transfer portal is that you wonder how long it's going to take for it to all gel and mesh together. Because here's the thing. Even though you can bring in talented offensive linemen via the portal, the offensive line just isn't something that you can just plug and play and it's just instantly fixed. It also takes some time to get the communication and to get the chemistry down. So I wonder how long it's going to take for Auburn's offensive line to gel with all of the guys that they brought in via the transfer portal. Now, they do have a really good offensive line from a talent standpoint, even though this is a couple of positions that I'm kind of scratching my head about. But I think for the most part, this should be a pretty solid offensive line. And when you look at some of their key returning players, you have your leading wide receiver from last year and Javarius Johnson, who comes back. You got running back Jarquez Hunter, who I think is going to end up being one of the better running backs in the SEC this year. This is going to be a really good offense. Now, your defense, I don't think your defense can be any worse than what it was last year. I know a lot of people say, JT, don't say that because things can always be a lot worse. Like, did you not see Auburn's defense last year? I mean, they could not stop a nosebleed when it came to the run game. So what did they do to beef up that run game? Well, they got a lot of good big boys up front. And I think the talent that they have in the secondary is going to be really key. I think that they have one of the better secondaries in the SEC. And then you have a lot of guys who are experienced, a lot of guys who have a lot of starts underneath their belt, underneath their belt. So I think Auburn overall has a really good team. And initially, I had them winning six games. But I think there's a really high chance that they could win eight games this year. You look at their schedule, they have four guaranteed wins. They start the season off playing against UMass. Then you got to go on the road to play Cal. Then you play Sanford. So you should be 3-0 before you enter your first game of conference play going on the road to play Texas A&M. Now, I don't know if... Auburn is going to be able to beat Texas A&M this year. I'm a lot higher on Texas A&M than most people. I think they're going to end up winning 10 games, but they definitely could win that game. They have to play on the road. Hugh Freeze is really good at getting his teams prepared for big games. Then you got to play Georgia at home. Georgia is just a way different animal this year. Even though I think that Auburn probably could keep it close for the first couple of quarters, I think that Georgia probably wins. Then you got to buy a week, and then you got to go on the road to Death Valley. And this is where you get into the meat and potatoes of your conference schedule. Winning at LSU is really hard to do, but I do think that there's a good chance that Auburn could pull off the upset. As a matter of fact, out of all the games, I think Auburn has a chance at winning that they probably won't be favored in. I think LSU is probably going to be their best chance at pulling off an upset. I don't think LSU is going to be as good as what a lot of people think they will be. I think they had a really good year one under Brian Kelly where they shocked all of us, but I still think there's a good amount of work to be done. 
And then you got to play Ole Miss. Ole Miss, that game could go either way. That could be a toss-up. You got Mississippi State. Then you got to go on the road and play Vandy. Then you got to play Arkansas. Then you got New Mexico State before you gear up for the Iron Bowl, which you host at home against Alabama. So my floor for Auburn this year is six wins. And my ceiling for Auburn, if everything goes right and this offensive line can gel early right out the gate, I have them winning nine games. That's my ceiling. So my best case scenario is nine wins. My worst case scenario is six wins. If I had to give you an overall record prediction, I say that they probably can win seven to eight games this year. I'll probably go, I'll probably lean more towards seven than I will eight, but that's my prediction for Auburn. I think that Hugh Freeze is going to have a really successful first year as the head coach of Auburn, Brian Harsons. The thing just never really worked out. People in the program seemed like they weren't really big fans of him. He made some really bad staff hires. I think when you look at what Hugh Freeze has brought in via the transfer portal, the fact that he's really good at scheming things up on the offense side of football, that's going to be a plus for Auburn's offense. I think that Hugh Freeze is going to have a pretty successful season for Auburn. They're over under win total right now, six and a half. So technically, with me expecting them to win, either seven or eight games, that would be them exceeding expectations. And I think that Hugh Freeze was a fantastic hire for Auburn. I think that he's going to have recruiting booming. He already has hit the transfer portal pretty hard. And I don't think that this is going to be a long-term rebuild. We saw the success that Brian Kelly had last year, utilizing the transfer portal. Same thing with Lincoln Riley and USC. And Auburn already had some talented players on this roster before Hugh Freeze got there. So I think that Auburn is going to be a pretty solid team year one under Hugh Freeze. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day around 5 p.m. Eastern time. My guy, Mr. Jones, says we hung in there with UGA in Athens 27-13 to 13 this year. We have Naylin insanely loud and the unknown QB coming in there. My guy, Phil Mizar, says I'm late to the party, but the fact that you got Dallas not as a top 10 offense is laughable. Much love, though. Everybody liked the video. I'm Man, I'm just not a believer in Mike McCarthy, man. Like, I think Dallas can have a good offense, but I don't think the offense is going to be as explosive as what it was the previous couple of years, even though you did get better. But I don't think we're going to see Dak Prescott taking as many deep shots downfield. I think he's going to be a little bit better with the decision-making. I just think that there's a lot of teams that I have on this list that are going to be better than what Dallas offense is going to be. But they could surprise me, though. They probably would make my honorable mention. Mr. Jones says Nayland's going to be so loud when Georgia comes in this season and Hypel will have that offense clicking and get Georgia on his heels early. UGA does play a weak schedule. Oregon was week one. Yeah, they play Oregon week one. The Vols had a pretty good receiver. Yeah, man, but if you haven't already, make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Make sure to check out the audio version of this podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us with a five-star review. Please give us a five-star review. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before this season begins. We have 68 right now on Apple. 
We got seven on Spotify, so go ahead, rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you like to use, type in the JT Sports Podcast, and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in, and I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.